Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics Up Logistics Podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is e-commerce's dirty little secret with my friend Aaron Schwartz. How's it going, Aaron? Doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I was excited to use this topic. <laughs> e-commerce's dirty little secret. Anyway, Aaron, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure. Aaron Schwartz, based in the Bay Area, though I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I heard that you are a Wolverine, which is okay. <laughs> Not ideal, but it is okay. At least you're Big Ten, so that, that's better than all these West Coast folks. Yeah, so is USC now. I know, so I know. That that's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, and two kids living in the Bay. Been out here for a little bit more than a decade, and I'm the president at Loop Returns. Loop is actually a Columbus-based company, though, Joe, I think at this point we're maybe 70% remote. So the company was founded there and grew there, but obviously with the pandemic, everybody started spreading out. I love to see that. You know, it's so funny you're from Ohio. So we I just had somebody on my podcast yesterday from um, Ohio, and now he's in New York. Cool. And he was saying how he misses uh, Ohio, and I said, I like it when there's all sorts of... Um, tech people who are in Ohio and Michigan and Indiana, and then they get sucked out to Silicon Valley or San Francisco so they can live for twice as expensive as as they could back home. And there was, there was a venture capitalist in Ann Arbor a few years back, and he said, I'm telling you, stay home. Don't come to California. He goes, nothing wrong with it. A wonderful, wonderful state, right? But he said, how many people on my team are from Ann Arbor or from Wilmington. I mean, all these, all over Ohio, all Michigan, again, the flyover states, we move. I know it. I know it. My wife grew up here and we have two young daughters. So we are near grandparents and it was glorious, but otherwise, I, you know, I don't have any say. So it could be worse. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it's nothing wrong with moving out there, but again, it does, it shouldn't be. And there are, there are smart people making, uh, starting great startups here in the Midwest. But anyway, tell us a little bit about what does Loop Returns do? Yeah. So we are the returns provider for a bunch of top Shopify brands. Um, so if you go on, let's say Allbirds or Brooklinen or Figs, and you click the returns and exchanges button at the bottom of the screen, we manage that entire software experience. So kind of simply it's how do we make it as easy as possible for you, Joe, to like. But would, I, would I not know that when I switch, when I'm returning? I guess I never paid attention. Would I not even know I left their site and went to yours? You shouldn't, right? It should feel like it is their brand all the way through because like 30% depends on the category. Some categories, 10%, some categories, 40% will have like that many, that percentage of orders get returned. And so that is a very key touch point for a brand. And so they want you to feel like you're going through their experience, you're seeing their products, their vibe, what you know, whatever it is, right? Taking the actions. And so we'll manage that experience. So, you know, the easy way to think about it is at 2 a.m., you can start your return like on your phone without having to call or email somebody. And then the brand will get great information because we'll prompt you with questions like, why are you doing the return? The place where Loop differentiates, and I think like going back to that like kind of dirty little secret discussion, is like returns is always thought of as a cost center. The reality is like we think about it as a revenue stream and as a some brand has already paid a lot of money to acquire you as a customer. Our job as Loop is to show you all the other products you could get to get you into a product you love. Because like you start a return not because you hate a brand, but you just don't like the product, the fit, the color, the size, the style, whatever it is. 
Yeah, and you 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 hit on it. The dirty little secret, and I don't even think it's little anymore, is all those returns for e-commerce. And I, I joked about it before we hit record, but I do feel like every time somebody says free shipping or free returns, DC gets a gray hair. Because... <laughs> And there are all sorts of great brands who start off and they've got these great ideas. And I don't know how they ever think about the returns, but you said just now they can be as high as 30% of... It can be higher. I'd say like, you know, we just ran a benchmark report and, you know, think about something like electronics where you know what you're getting and... Yes. You looked at the reviews. Yeah. Like, you know what you're getting. There's no fit. (laughs) You think about something like swimwear or footwear and it's a new startup brand, like a Shopify brand. You haven't tried that brand before. Maybe you're experimenting with it. An eight and a half for them might be a nine in another brand that you're used to. And so they're just almost definitionally, if there are a lot of SKUs, there will be a high return rate because customers want to get the perfect product. There's no reason not to. Right. So we'll, we'll get back to the dirty little secret, but first tell us a little bit about you. you. You mentioned you grew up in Cleveland. Where'd you go to school? Give us some uh, back of the napkin career highlights bef- before you joined Loop. Yeah, I'll rattle through my LinkedIn. So I grew up in Cleveland. I went to school in New York at Columbia and was very wow. a history, very nice. history major, Spanish minor. So super. That's why, you're, that's why you got into that's right. That's right. And then uh, worked at Deloitte Consulting for four great years. It was a couple in New York, a couple in London. And then in 2008, I moved out to the Bay Area for business school. So I really lucky went to Berkeley Haas. Another great school. Yeah, it was good. Wow. It, was, it was awesome. It was like my manifest destiny, right? As a history major was move west eventually. And so I finally made it out here. You were the second person in a row. I, I did an interview this morning with Carrie Jablonski from Trucker Tools. She's cool. the CEO there. And she, first job out of school was Deloitte. And I was, tell, I was telling some young people I know, I said, don't don't get your master's. Just go work at Deloitte. <laughs> funny. I, I loved it. I mean, it was a great, um, you know, like, look, there are pros and cons of consulting, obviously, but surrounded by smart people working on hard problems. Uh, it gave me a very good understanding of how to be detail oriented. I was working on a slide deck yesterday or two days ago, I guess, with one of our VPs. And I was like, hey, look, when you send this deck, these are all the things that I see and I can't unsee them because this is misaligned by three pixels and you just need to be aware that <laughs> I will move it. You don't need to worry about it. I'm sorry, but <laughs> this isn't me picking you. This is like my training. I worked I worked in a program management office. It was at the old Chrysler and program management office managed all of the projects. So there's always initiatives, cost savings, whatever, and all the consultants sat in there. I was not so much a consultant as a one-man band, but I, so I worked with Deloitte and all those guys. And I used to joke that you guys can't say good morning without 17 slides. <laughs> oh well, I left consulting. I did leave consulting. And, I, and by the way, I, 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 I'm the, I was the same way. I, I, I used PowerPoint for everything. And I remember when you walk into a meeting, so I was like, Really? A PowerPoint? Can't we just have a conversation? It, it, was hard, it was hard for me to give up my Lenovo with a trackball to be able to like manipulate Excel even faster. That's what I got right here. No, I love it. I've got a MacBook, so it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm taking my tune. Where'd you go after Deloitte? Yeah, so straight straight to business school. And then in business school, and this is, I'd say like a non-standard approach. I knew I wanted to start companies. I didn't know what I wanted to start. And business school felt like, one, um, I just love education. I love reading. I like being in school, weirdly enough. And so... I knew I'd enjoy the experience. I knew it was a credential that I wouldn't be less employable. Let's say I could always have gone back to Deloitte, which I would have very much enjoyed. But I figured it was two years for me to have space to experiment with starting companies. Like I grew up in retrospect around a lot of entrepreneurs, but not realizing it. And I, I always thought of startups 
not as tech startups or high growth startups, but let's say more like small businesses. You you get a, a subway franchise somehow, some way you create cash flow, you get a second one, you go get a dry cleaning business, right? Like that, that to me was um, entrepreneurial. Before there was hockey stick growth. That's in right. And, and it's not, a, <laughs> obviously it's not a good or a bad, it's just two different approaches. And then, but I definitely got the um, high tech bug out here. So started a company during school, which I'm not going to talk about. It was a fine experience. We did literally everything wrong. It was four MBAs, nobody who was technical. So that was, that was one. And then right after school, I started a watch company. Um, it was print on demand, custom watches, like, you know, $50, $30 to $70 type of, type of products. And in retrospect, it was kind of like an earlier vintage direct to consumer D2C brand. Right. So we started on whatever tech platform. We then became a Shopify brand and I kind of entered the Shopify ecosystem. I think in like late 2013, early 2014, we did a Kickstarter. We raised some money, ultimately sold that business in 2019. Not, not a good return. Very proud, like amazing team, all, all the great experiences. But that was like, so basically I ran a brand for kind of seven years full time, two years kind of part time. I mean, that, that's what got me into the space to start. So was that when you joined Loop? No. There's, there's plenty more in between there, my friend. <laughs> so that sold in 2019. I kind of stopped in 2017 and said, okay, cool. I've, I, seven years in, I've really tried anything and everything I could to figure out how to make this a fast growing business. Better founders, better operators would have solved that. I like could reflect on this for two hours right now. But Well, I will say that what I love about where you're at, and I think it's really permeating the entire world, is this idea of try it. If it fails, it fails and you learned and you go to the next one and you talk about that failure without any shame. And I think, yeah. in you know, especially in the past, if you were an MBA, the idea of saying I was wrong, it, it really didn't come off their uh, off their tongue very easily. So I love that. And again, I, we, have, we have to credit the tech guys and I think mostly Silicon Valley and San Francisco, this idea of try it, go for it, big ideas, you know, and if it fails – Let's flame up spectacularly and move on. I'd say I, I carried guilt for a couple of years where I kept trying to make it work because I'd taken money from investors and investors would tell me like, hey, look, we took a risk, shut down the company, go on with your life, but I couldn't do it. The only pain I still feel is more like, I think we had an opportunity that our team didn't get to kind of experience in the way that I would have wanted them all to, that I've had the fortune to experience since. I mean, just like the growth, the excitement. Um, I think the brand was wonderful and like so many fun memories, but um, yeah, this is, yeah, we could, we could spend a long time here, but I, I don't, right. I, I'm not ready for a therapy session yet. Give, give me a couple more, maybe a couple more years. Anyway, very, very long story short, the interim was I started a company called Passport, co-founded it with a guy named Alex, who's a CEO and Passport does is international shipping for direct to consumer brands. The way to think about it was like a pain I felt at, at my company, was, which was called Modify the, the brand was maybe 20 or 30% of our traffic would be from international destinations. They'd find us on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but maybe 2% of our revenue was international. And the reason is because international shipping was hard. And so what Passport does is solve international shipping by like doing pretty good logistics, pretty good tech, and then wonderful customer service and just taking away all the pain from the international shipping side. And so that company has grown fabulously, which is cool. I was there for two years. I was then in year number 10, third company, and I, I needed a break. So I took a break. And since then, I've had a stop at another tech company. And then I am an investor advisor in a bunch of other tech companies. And I like spent a year with our two daughters during COVID, like just 
being a more flexible dad, which was just wonderful. Well, that was cool that you could do that. Oh, so I mean, so fortunate, so fortunate. My wife works much harder than I do, so I'm also very lucky to have <laughs> to, to, to have such a supportive spouse and successful one too. And then long story short, one of my advisees was Loop. I know Loop forever, great reputation and just like really nice humans at the company. And I went from being an advisor to I joined almost a year ago. And my role there, I started running a lot of go-to-markets like partnerships and sales and marketing. And then we hired people who are better at partnership sales and marketing. So I got to step aside and now I'm running product and soon we'll hire somebody who's better at product. And then I'll figure out what problem to solve next or what opportunity <laughs> to do next. So yeah. You're too humble. I'm sure you can do all those jobs really well. It's it's very interesting when you talk about your career out there compared to, I'm sure you still have friends and family in Ohio and the Midwest. People go say, oh, I went to work at a big automotive supplier and For sure. they pay me good money and I get a bonus, but there's none of this starting companies. It's not the, it's not the normal. Yeah, I, I think it's becoming more normal. I did work for a Silicon Valley company and it was funny. Um, I was based here and- Four of us were in Detroit, and I think uh, eight were out in Mountain View. And I remember the only thing that was always kind of the stumbling point, like they would go back and say, when they'd come to our house here, and they'd say, Joe and Bob are rich, and we're not. <laughs> like, we're not rich. We live in Michigan. <laughs> like, we make the same money. They're like, you have a boat and a, live on a lake. I was like, eh, that's a thing here. <laughs> like, <laughs> you just spend less than you make, and then you'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's a big difference. So let's switch gears. Let's talk about this this e-commerce is a dirty little secret. So we're all co- probably consumers of e-commerce. So we all know how that works. We buy something. Um, maybe I'm buy- and I always use the example of sweaters. I buy a sweater in two sizes and three colors, and I try them all on. And when I say me, that's I'm guessing. I notice that's what my daughter's doing. I think we call that bracketing. Yep. And we're I'm t- treating that brand stuff as if it is changing room. Uh, I just went into changing room and, but I did buy it and I pl- I fully intend to return maybe all three, but at least two. I hear you. And, and so we have that on a regular basis and brands have to live with that. And, and I'll, I'll just throw something else out there. I've heard it. I don't know this to be true, but you probably have some sense of it. Somebody was on my podcast once before and said, the problem with returns is, you didn't necessarily plan for it. And so you don't, it's not as if you say, oh, I've got a guys on the dock waiting for all these returns to hit. But also somebody just wrapped it up in the plastic, maybe put some tape on it, threw it back. Maybe they damaged it. Maybe they got it dirty. Maybe they wore it. I saw the other day somebody showed, it was on Instagram. They put on the bottom of their te- very expensive tennis shoes, they put tape. And then they wore these shoes out to a party or wherever, brand new shoes, then came home, took the tape off the shoes and sent them back. And so I know there's I know there's abuse and I know there's just plain and simple trying it on and seeing if it fits. How do we deal with all this mess? <laughs> yeah, so this is a big topic. I'm going to speak quickly across a lot of pieces and then double click whatever you think is interesting. I think there are a couple factors and keep in mind, Loop is 100% Shopify focused. We have raised 60, 70 million dollars. CRV, like a lot of great New York, like frankly, funds from everywhere have invested. CRV, letter of Series B, but Shopify itself invested. So I'm I'd say like my area of specialty and loops in particular is much more like more modern brands, right? And so if you think about modern brands, for the last many, many years, there's been fast growth and an ability to spend, spend, spend. You can get capital and so you grow. And if you do that, you don't 
at some point you stop paying attention to what's happening on the return side because it is much faster to inbound your inventory, whether it's made in the US or Pakistan or China, whatever, put it on a shelf, send the new one to Joe. Joe's unhappy, he sends it back. It is painful to receive it back, to open the box, to figure out if there was tape or if it was damaged or if they sent a box of feathers or whatever it is, right? And then to get it back on shelves. It is much more efficient to just sell the next item. And so what you see for a lot of these brands is an inventory glut that is kind of like a returns glut and there's very low recovery. So if you think about recovery, it's like, look, my my cost on this item was 25 bucks. I sell for hundred dollars. If somebody returns it, what is the maximum? Like if I can sell for $25, I get back, right? My, my cogs, if I sell it for $75 right there, there's some profit in there on a secondary channel or, or if I can refurbish it for only 10 bucks and then still sell for a hundred bucks, there's money to be had there. And so what you're finding now is there's less, like now meaning the last couple of quarters in 2022 is like, there is less access to capital. The growth of these brands, if they were at 80% last year, is more like 20% this year. So it's not that like brands are falling off a cliff, but they're not growing as fast. They spent a lot of money to get inventory because they may have expected that growth to happen. And there is a like, oh my goodness moment of, we need to move from hyper growth to building a sustainable business and thinking about sustainable growth. And I think returns historically was thought of as a cost center. And I think returns has then subsequently, like the industry has very much moved to thinking about it as a experience driver, right? 30% of my customers are going to do a return. I want them to come back, right? And I think it is now being thought of as like actually a core to me growing sustainably and growing profitably. How do I make it both delightful for Joe? So when he does a return and said he does an exchange, how do I, if Joe's a VIP customer, not make him send back a product that I'm not going to put back on shelves and say, Joe, keep it, gift it to somebody else. So I remove the logistics cost. I remove the warehouse. Not a hassle. Right? The hassle. But you, 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 can't, you also have to do that intelligently so you don't get gamed by people who are like faking to, to keep yes. the product. And then there is a, how do I get the product refurbished when it comes back? And how do I get it back on shelves or put it into a secondary channel? And so like the level of complexity in the return space has always been there. I think brands are just at a point where they are actually understanding it and they're looking to partners to help them figure it out because it is, it's nuanced and it's different brand by brand. It's different, like footwear brands have different, like everybody will have a different process and want to create a different experience for their customers. And so you need to rely on third parties to help you with that. So let me ask a few questions. First off, you mentioned Shopify. So for those of us who are not in the e-commerce business, we all hear the name Shopify. What does Shopify do? And when you say you're part of the Shopify network, does that mean you're part of 60% of all the business that's out there? Or, I mean, I I don't understand what that means. So if you think about, um, if you and I were to start a candle brand or t-shirt brand or swimmer brand today, there are a bunch of ways that we could start selling it, right? We could start a newsletter. We could set up a PayPal account. We could just have people mail us a check. There are a bunch of e-commerce platforms that try to make it easier for you to start them. Salesforce has a very like massive enterprise grade one called Commerce Cloud. There's an older line one called Magento. There's Big Commerce, which is like a really good platform for B2B. If we're starting what we call like a direct-to-consumer brand, like a brand that is specifically online to begin, Shopify is nine times or 90, nine times out of 10 or 98 times out of 100, the right choice. It's simpler it's cleaner, it's more affordable. It's so it's like less friction to get going. So it manages the transactions? Correct. So it is easier for you to put the products up. It's easier for you to set up your site so somebody can come to it. There are themes and templates to make it look beautiful on day one. Obviously you can do all the customization in the world, but I always think about Shopify. And frankly, I think a lot about what we do at Loop. 
is like you can create all the choice in the world, but make sure to give bumper lanes so people don't have gutter balls. Like it is delightful from the beginning. And then the reason Shopify has grown how it has and the reason why like I'm a believer in it is because there's a massive app ecosystem. So there's a platform which makes it easy for you to set up your store, run transactions, all the all the things you want. And then there are thousands of companies that are hyper-focused on one part of helping you as a e-commerce brand owner deliver the experience you want. There are marketing companies, there are returns companies like Loop, there are right. shipping companies, there are help desk companies, there are like any, there's like an inventory true up company. There is a recommendations and there are a hundred of each of those categories. I think I've had them. I didn't have Shopify on, but I had one of their companies. I think it's called um, Six Rivers or something like that. Six Rivers. I, I think that's who sold the Shopify. Is that right? Yeah. So they, they make like, I think automation for Warehouse. the brands that they work with. So yeah. great companies. So one other thing. So if I, let's just say you mentioned you and I start a candle business today. Would I know because of your background we would do this, but are these companies starting with the idea? Here's our return strategy, or that are they showing up to the venture capitalists and they go, uh, I don't believe in this because you didn't talk to me about returns. I'd say so. Good question. My bias, if we were to actually start this business, I would actually not use an automated returns software on day one. I'd probably use it on month six. And the reason I wouldn't on day one is like if you are an entrepreneur and you're trying to build a business. What you really want to do is understand why people don't want your product. And we at Loop will give you awesome data and insights and like we'll ask the customers, but there's nothing as good as like you jumping on a phone call. Somebody being like, yeah, I'd love to process your return. In fact, Jim, I've already like sent you your refund, but can you tell me what we could have done better? And so I think like there's an entrepreneurial spirit of like customer discovery and really like getting closer to your customer. Don't want to lose that. That's right. And then at some point you... A very early, like after you kind of get the, the core of it and you refine your product, then you use a, a, a loop, for example, or like obviously there are other great companies out there to help automate the process for you. And, you know, it's kind of discussed as like there are maybe maybe a way to think about is there are different journeys. There's the like ease of the return. There is the ability to convert the customer into from a returner into an exchanger because you don't like if you think about your cost, you've spent $30 on Facebook or Google or whatever to acquire the customer. If the customer leaves, you're negative $30 on that account. Let's assume shipping's a wash. If you do anything and everything to retain that customer, you not only get to keep their order value as 30, 50, 60, whatever, hundred bucks, but you also get to retain that customer who hopefully will buy again. So like, if you think about like how you're building a brand and you want to think about it over time, go back to your bracketing example. You buy three sweaters the first time you shop from, you know, the next LLB or whatever, whatever brand you heard about. You're like, I remember watching these guys. Or like you, you, you go to Allbirds, it's one of our customers. And you're like, I've heard about these shoes. I want to do it. I'm normally a size 10. I'm going to get nine and a half, 10, 10 and a half. If you love that, they, all things being equal, I'm not speaking for all birds, but like should be okay with that because it is the way to get you in the door on day one. And then once you realize, oh, in Allbirds, I'm a 10. And if you love the product, which you will love the product, if you try the product, the next time they're not paying to acquire you, you're coming back in six months when you need the next pair of shoes and you know that you're a size 10. And I think like you need to think about all this as a longer term play and like creating as much delight as possible for the customer, even if she is returning and just like walking away. Because if it's painful, she's definitely never coming back. If it's an easy, seamless return experience, she might come back the next time she sees an ad for a different product by you that she likes. Right. And we've seen Nordstrom's has had always had that strategy always. offline and they've done a wonderful job. Because you trust it Nordstrom and you love it. Moved, yeah. When they moved here to Michigan probably 20 years ago, 
it was like everybody knew ahead of time. Nordstrom's does returns. And so did, you know, we used to have JL Hudson's and they did that and, and Macy's and all those. They, they did it, but Nordstrom was known for it. And yeah, it's it's so I'll bring up some of my own challenges. So I always like these traveler shirts from Joseph Banks. Okay. You don't have to iron them, right? And they look great. And I bought them for twenty some years. And then J, then Joseph Banks closes a lot of their stores. And I was like, eh, I'd be better off just buying them online. I know exactly my size. I know what styles I'm going to buy. Boom, I buy them. Easy, they come. Not even close on the sizing. I, I put it on. I was like, what? And then when I when I tried to return them, they, they did call me and they said, we know you've been buying from us for, for a long time. What happened? I go, they're the wrong size. I said, I know what size. I've got the same size forever. Let me show you a picture of my closet with 15 of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was crazy. They sent me other ones. They didn't work and I was done. And it was funny. Their sizing was always, I knew it like the back of my hand. And then when they went to the online, I mean, I'm sure they've gotten that straightened out. They did they did um, change hands. And I think they're part of men's warehouse or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same private equity. But it was so frustrating. And I I will buy from Joseph Banks again. I like their stuff. But that was just such a frustration for me. Like so disappointed. If you're if you're running a brand today, like the bar is higher and higher. Obviously, Amazon pushes everything and in, in like this inexorable path to like like customer obsession is their number one value for a reason. And they're very, very good at that. And you think about every time where you have any sort of level of annoyance with the brand, the likelihood of you going back is extremely low. Now, if you're running a brand, make everything easy. Don't make people jump through hoops. Don't obfuscate your pricing. Don't, if like, you know that you, your sizing is slightly different, tell them like, hey, we run a little bit small, like give as much information. And then God forbid, it's not the right fit make it super easy for them to return it, schedule a pickup at home, right? Like give them a drop-off location, remove as much friction. Um, because if you don't, you're definitely losing that customer. And going back to it, you've already spent money to acquire the customer. Now you're spending money to get the product back. It's going to sit on the floor or you're going to send it out to refurbish it and, and, and like do everything to delight the customer. I think that's like returns is a massive piece of that. And I, I think the best brands know that and kind of hold it, hold it dear. One one other thing, um, and then I want to hear how you guys solve some of these problems for these brands. So I was at my mom's house, and she's always got the TV on, kind of the background, and the home shopping network's always on. And she doesn't buy much from there. And and she said, she said, I know why people buy from there. And she said, you watch it, and there's people on there, and they'll say, I am. Five foot five, 150 pounds. Sure. And this is a this is a large and it fits great. I love it. I have enough space, whatever. And and then the next lady will walk out and say, I'm five foot tall and I weigh 80, 89 pounds, and this fits. I'm a, I'm an extra small and it, it fits perfectly. They have all sorts of different shapes and sizes, recognizing that there are all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And my mom said, When I have bought, she goes, she said, I bought a pair of pants from there. And when I did, they fit so well. I loved them so much that I bought four more. Yeah. And 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 that that was like, why don't we do any of that? And when I go to a brand, you go online, there's not always a good sense. Now, Amazon's doing a better job on that where you start to see, is the size true? Is this actually an extra large when I bought an extra large? So anyway, enough of my blather. 
How do you help them solve some of these problems? Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But I think genuinely what you're seeing is like that insight is a really great one. And it is about making it easier to buy the right item up front. And so um, the shirt I'm wearing is from Cuts Clothing. They're not a customer of ours. I just love this brand. And I think it's Cuts. It might be Viore, another awesome brand where like they will say like John is five foot 11 and whatever, right? And so like you can see it. And if you look at, I'd say like, most of the top brands right now, they make it very clear who the model is so that you can understand what the fit might be. So that is something that is definitely happening. I need an avatar my same size so you can go try these there, clothes so, out for me. I, I mean, you, you ask, you, you shall receive. There's a company called Bold Metrics, which is also trying to like make sure that they understand your fit well. There is so much innovation going on to like solve these problems. Again, it's much easier to solve it in real life at a store. And so how do you bring that experience right to, to the digital side. But yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So as far as like where where Loop is, I, I guess I think about where we start and stop and the journeys we provide and the, the impacts we provide. So we are asset light. We are a digital provider. And if you think about returns, we kind of think about it as there's the pixels experience, right? Like you are doing the return. The CFO is able to reconcile the return at the end of the month and like make sure that the numbers all true up. The head of e-commerce is able to like, or the head of merchandising is able to get data about the return to change how they do merchandising, yada, 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 right? So like there are all those different, there's the digital side and then there's the, the parcel side, right? Which is how do you get the product back? Do you always send the product back? Maybe you route it to a refurbishment house. Once it gets back to the 3PL or the fulfillment house, do they have the information to know how to fix it to get it back on shelves? And then tied to all that is obviously the data and like giving the insights to the brand and making sure... Everybody has the reporting they need. The, 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 like they know where the inventory is at any at any given point and the condition. So pixels and parcels. We are pixels through and through. Okay. We want to make it easy as like frictionless as possible for you to start a return. We do a lot to help you turn that return into an exchange. So the first thing is when you start a return, we will ask you why you're doing the return, and if you say big, small, wrong color, wrong product, we will surface immediately. Like, hey, here's some other products you may want to exchange to. We allow you to not only exchange for our same price product, which is straightforward. It's a hundred dollar shirt, exchange for a hundred dollar shirt. We allow you to exchange for a $30 product or a $500 basket of items. We offer something called instant exchanges. So you can ship like, let's say you, you got a medium. It turns out you really needed a large. You click that button. The large gets sent to you even before you've shipped back the medium. So you get the right product before returning the wrong one. And then there's just like 99.999% of people are good and will return it but they'd much rather have the product that they paid for like that they want as soon as possible. And then we have this really interesting product that we call workflows, which is basically like your first time customer, you maybe get a, like a little bit of bonus credit or, or something to try to drive that exchange. You're a VIP customer. You have a 90 day return window and really trying to enable every customer to get a different, like, sorry, every brand to allow every one of their customers this is the right way to think about it to get a different kind of bespoke experience. All that is to like, again, make it delightful for you, but also hopefully retain you as a customer, do anything and everything to keep you and keep you happy. You know, it's it's an interesting thing. We want the, we, we all t always talk about this. We want a really intuitive, easy experience. So that experience is obviously going to be driven by tech. If there's a, you know, I joked, I joked about earlier today is when we first started getting systems that we could use on our computers, it was always like, press F8 to go to the cost screen, right? And if you didn't know to go to the cost screen, someone later on would go, you didn't go to the cost screen. Now they expect it to be a really, they're already 
a little unhappy because they have to returns. Now that's that's not counting the bracketing. But even if it's the bracketing, meaning they bought three sizes and they tried them all on there to send two back, they might not be unhappy, but they don't want to do it. It's a hassle. You got to put on your list of things to do and you're like, damn it, I got to do that today. But if you're angry, if you said, I was going to wear those shoes to that party on Friday, now I can't, now I have to go to the mall because I don't have time to get new ones. You're already sort of upset with the brand because I ordered 10 and these were way too small. I don't know what's wrong with those guys. So if it's at all a hassle, it just is adding salt to the wound. I mean, it, they're already mad. Yes. Like I, um, you know, if, if I think back to like, again, the, the, the commerce brand I started in 2010, we wrote a handwritten note to every single customer throughout the life of the company. By the end, we got lazy with the notes. They weren't as good. It was like, thanks for your order. But at the beginning, it was like, Michelle, thank you so much for your order. I saw that you got this product. Let me know what you think. Like it was a legit handwritten note that was as much as I could be thoughtful. I don't, I don't know if I was delivered that, but that was the intent because I wanted people to know that we cared. They were giving me 40 bucks. I needed to make sure that they were happy. And I wanted them to know if they weren't happy to tell me so I could make it better, but also to learn from it. We at Loop, and I think a lot of companies in the like Shopify ecosystem want to always make sure to get that data to the brand so that the brand understands what created that frustration. Why is that customer annoyed? Why, what is, what is the friction in the process? But I'm a Zappos fanboy through and through. I'm a like customer obsession fanboy. Like that's just how I think about stuff. And so any place where we can remove friction, I almost think is default the right decision. Even if, you know, like you lower return rate or like there can be other consequences to obviously the choices you make, but always trying to make it as seamless as possible for customers, the right choice. On the, on the parcel side, by the way, we don't own any assets. We don't own trucks. We don't own warehouses. What we do is we partner with awesome companies and we think of ourselves as like a very big aggregator and a routing mechanism. So you work with one 3PL. She works with another 3PL. He does fulfillment from his house. She does fulfillment from her office. We don't care. We will support routing you the product wherever. You want to use FedEx. She wants to use UPS. Great. You ship internationally in these countries. Great. We'll do that. You want it refurbished. She doesn't want it refurbished. Awesome. Right. And so like we think about this as the digital experience is paramount to create that wow customer experience, that wow customer journey. On the logistics side, we our customer becomes the kind of like the head of operations or the head of finance for the brand. And we, we want to help them recover as much money as possible from a return. And one thing, and I think you alluded to it before we hit record, you guys being the pixel side, not the parcel side, you start to have a lot of data and a lot of insights into why returns are happening. So if I'm a new brand and I say, I'm going to sell this, 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 and this, and you go, hold up, <laughs> do you know what the return rates on average are for these? And do you know why they're happening? And I'm pretty sure they say, no idea. no idea. I mean, it's hard, right? Again, it's hard because it's 30% of your business, but you also have to deal with the finance side and you're starting a new product and, oh, you're in development for your next product and you've got your, like, it is hard running a brand. You have everything, right? Like from the marketing to the finance, the operations, right? And so then you add one more thing, which is complex, which has not great data, especially if you don't have an automated system like Loop, like we can come in and give you the data. It's not perfect data but it is directionally correct data, right? Because you're still reliant on does the person take the time to click the button, but we are able to then pipe that data through you so you can go around your business more intelligently. So you can help with the merchandising. So you can actually like, I mean, think about it this way. If you, if you run, if you run the finance function, you have an order in July 
a return happens in August and an exchange happens in September. That is a huge pain in the butt to account for it. Right. If you don't have a system that's, again, we won't make it seamless because it just it is a hard problem. If you don't have a system that's making it as, as easy as possible, like you're doing yourself a disservice. And that's sort of like one piece. I would also think that I'm just thinking if I, let's just say I had a brand of clothing or something and I've got accessories, I've got belts and wallets and all this stuff and stuff. And then I say, I'm going to, I'm going to launch, I'm going to be very successful. And then you say, Hey, there's the return rate on this product. And this product is very high. I, I might say I'm going to work on those challenges. Maybe they're sizing, maybe they're fit. I'm going to work on those, but I might also say, you know what? That really isn't critical to my brand. I'm not going to sell those. Uh, those are low margin for me. I'm not going to sell those because if, That's right. if I'm going to sell something that at the end of the year, I'm going to get 30% of them returned and it's low margin. Nope. <laughs> Joe, when you when you start a business and you can, I mean, you can think about like any business, right? Like if you're in sales, you call a hundred people to then get called, like they call you back 30% of the time. And then you have a second call 10% of that time. And then you close one deal. Right. For example, if you think about it from e-commerce, the way that people have always thought about what success looks like is a high conversion rate. So for every hundred people, do two or three buy from me, maybe four. Right. And like for every thousand, is it 25 or 27? Right. The way I think about it, and I think the way that we are positioned is much more like what is your net conversion rate? So you've got your orders, that upfront conversion rate minus your returns, which is bad, but it's going to happen, plus your saved sales. And so what Loop is great at is that save sales part. So your net conversion rate, your keep rate is higher and higher, as, high, as high as can be, right? We can always be better, of course. And I think like we were kind of talking about this earlier with recommendations. It's not, the ideal isn't recommending something that somebody will buy. The ideal is recommending something that somebody will keep. And like right. we have that data to know what, like we can close that loop of you are like this product sells like hotcakes, but then 30% is returned. This product sells you know, 80% as much as the first product, but 0% returned, sell the second product. Don't sell the first product, right? Right. You know, another thing, and I'm sure this is an equation you're aware of, but all these brands have customer acquisition costs. So if I say it costs me $40 to get somebody to even go in and buy something, and then 30% of them are going away, then I have to look and say, oh boy, isn't it worth a little bit of effort and maybe a little bit of investment to keep them in the, keep them in the, uh, in the loop, in the loop. Look, see what I did there? Keep them in the loop. Keep them on the team, right? That's it. I don't, I don't want them. I, don't, I caught that fish. I do not want it jumping back into the pond. You spent the money, do anything and everything to help him or her find a product that they love. Like, and that is, that's like a lot of the innovation. It's really small stuff, but it's like, if you can inch up that exchange rate, that is money in the business's pocket. And again, as discussed, it is a customer who is now not a returner, but is a fan. And great. They will be a repeat customer. They will talk about you on social to their friends. They'll wear the product out. Somebody will see them wearing it. Like that, that is the goal with having a good return solution. I, I read a book and it was a long time ago. So I'm sure that it was pre- pre-e-commerce, but it was talking about retailers and handling problems and returns. And they said certain brands had done such a good job over time that they looked at this as an opportunity to win more business and because that, that's what was happening. And they said customer loyalty had skyrocketed in certain certain retailers because of the way they managed their business when it went wrong. That's right. I think that's, that's spot on. 
and you know, and you guys are kind of that best practice, but also you're the benchmark, you've got the tech. So the technology is great, but having the insight and the data on what where I might go astray is also pretty useful to me. If you... Oh yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Um, and very much so, by the way, some of the best brands actively drive people to customer service, even though they could self-serve because they want to sell them into the next product. And so like part of our platform is enabling a brand to say, certain products or certain high value products or VIP customers don't get through the automated flow. They go manual because you actually want to intercept that and learn and try to get them into a different product. Right. right. The, the way we kind of think about this, this is maybe a weird way, but like we have a very big product and engineering team, right? We, we build this really, really robust suite of things. And if we just gave you that robust suite of things, you would likely fail. How we think about it is like, it is the platform plus it's the partnership of like our merchant success team to help you craft the experience that you want for your customers. Like, I don't want to tell you, oh, Joe, you run a footwear brand. It's 50 million. We've got three other footwear brands that are 50 million. This is right. I can say like, hey, here's what we advise, but we want to give you the tools to like tinker and create that perfect experience as defined by you, the brand owner or the, you know, the, the like the person at the company, um, not as defined by us. I also like that here you are you're very much a tech guy, right? Smack dab in the middle of the tech universe there in uh, California. And you're saying sometimes tech isn't what you need. Sometimes you need to send that personalized note or say, hey, Aaron, I screwed up. Can we have a quick call? Yeah. And I think what we always say, and this is what we need to also always do, is let tech do the tech job, right? Uh, the automation stuff, the rote things, the routine things. But when it requires a human being, have a human being to do that job. And that, and. Getting an email from me saying, hey, what went wrong isn't the same as I'd like to get 10 minutes on your calendar to understand what went wrong. Yeah, I, I don't know. There are plenty of ways to make money in this world and there are plenty of jobs. Starting a direct-to-consumer brand where you are dealing with physical products, manufacturers, logistics, the marketing, the finance, the capital needs is extraordinarily difficult. Nobody gets into that to go like work with tech. They get into that to go build a brand that somebody loves and our job is to enable them to do that and then get out of the way. Well, it comes up on my podcast, almost every podcast lately, but we are all partnering up. And I think everybody can partner with somebody who actually specializes in that niche. So if you are that Spotify brand and you're going to have returns, <laughs> that's basically most of you, then you need to you need to partner up. You need somebody who actually does that. You, you did what we all do, which is you called it Spotify, not Shopify. And the worst part was last year, Shopify. And, I'm sorry, what? You're good. Shopify <laughs> and Spotify did a partnership, which was my favorite part where I was like, which side? Um, no, no, you guys can't do that. <laughs> yeah, it is Shopify. I'm sorry. I am a big... Sp I still do it. I've been in this ecosystem for a decade. It's unreal. But I, yeah. My, my daughter, a few Christmases ago, said, I'm giving you a, a Christmas gift, but it's really not a gift. And I said, what do you mean by that? She goes, I got like a, a year's worth of Spotify for you. And I said, oh, that's a nice gift. What are you talking about? She goes, now you will have to pay for it forevermore, which but, is true. Like satellite radio. That's exactly right. <laughs> anyway, enough of my blather. So Aaron, I want to kind of close this out. And I'm going to ask you, what's next for e-commerce, especially in regards to the uh, these returns. What's next for Loop Returns? And then what's next for you? Answer in any order you want. Yeah. I think what's next is this ongoing shift. I think it's just going to accelerate of a move from growth and maybe growth at all costs, depending on the brand. I, wouldn't, I, I don't want to say like, this is a monolithic industry and everybody does the same thing, but like 
growth being the thing to sustainable growth being the thing. I think that is the shift. I think what that means is as cost of acquisition goes up, right? Like Facebook ads go up, it's harder to target. Retaining that customer, building brand affinity, building community, making sure that customer becomes a repeat customer and like hopefully like a megaphone for your business is the thing that allows for sustainable growth. So I think that's what's next in like the industry. I, I don't think it, I think how you solve it is extraordinarily hard, right? So I'm not like, oh, just move to sustainable growth. But I think that is like the mentality shift for us. It's funny. We just kind of, we, we just had a full company get together for the first time since I've been in the business, which is awesome. And we were talking about where we're going. And I think on a high level, we think about returns is one of the three or four most important things. If you're starting a brand, right? First and foremost, you build a great physical product. Are you in love with it? Do you like the materials, the design, the brand, everything around it? Fine. Then there's what e-commerce platform do you use? And then maybe returns is third. Maybe your help desk is third. Maybe your e-commerce, like your email marketing is third. But like returns is in that short list of like crucial building blocks for an e-commerce brand. And so like hyper-focusing in that space and not trying to get distracted and just doing more, helping them with omni-channel returns. So buy online, return store, helping with recommendations, just helping everything to do with returns. And I'd say just like deepening our expertise, we will continue to stay in Shopify. That is our platform. We love it. We think that's where the biggest growth is. That's where um, they're the best partners. So we can like one plus one equals three with another tech partner to create a better experience for that entrepreneur. And then for me, I don't know. I love it. I've been in the space for over a decade. I'm not interested in jumping to another space. I, uh, hopefully I like work slightly less, spend more time with the kids, but outside of that, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I don't, I'm not looking forward to anything else. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, let's wrap this bad boy up. First off, who's your sweet spot? Who do you work with and what, I know we've talked about the whole entire time, what problems you solve, what problems you solve, but who is your sweet spot? Who do you work with? So again, only Shopify brands, which is consistent and will be that way for, for the foreseeable future. I'd say anybody sweet spot. So it's going to be too broad, but I'd say five to 50 million, five to a hundred million top line brands. We are great for a $1 million brand. We are really, really good for a 300, $500 million brand. We have a bunch of them. There's just fewer on Shopify and Shopify is moving more and more on market. And so we are kind of like, we're ready when they come in. But I'd say like our sweet spot, like where's the fast moving water right now is like more that 50-ish million, 30, like somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. And it's, it's, it just keeps accelerating, you know, and it's interesting. I suspect if we were to talk in a year or two, your service offering would be very different just because the the speed of the, I'll just call it the omni-channel. Yeah. I don't, I don't, that never feels like the right name for me at this point, but we have, you know, e-commerce companies opening retail locations and we have uh, the big store retailers opening online yeah. and and how we return is um oh by the way one last thing I, I should have mentioned this earlier I had Rick Watson who's an e-commerce of expert on my podcast yeah. okay so Rick and I were speculating the Wall Street Journal called Amazon's the stores they're opening they call them department stores I'm doing air quotes here which I think is a little insulting to what Amazon that you're going to open department stores like Kresge's or something <laughs> but and one of the things that Rick and I were speculating is. Maybe they're selling one of, I think they have like 25 different private label brands now, basics and all that other stuff, essentials. I think we also thought a lot of that would be related to their return strategy. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that in terms of like the pro they've learned from the returns, what products to build or like the stores and then like drop off points for the physical. Yeah. So I I bought a shirt 
and now I want to return it rather than putting it in a mailbox. Sure, you go on the Amazon app, it will say, go to Whole Foods for free, go to a Kohl's for free or go to one of their- Yeah, I go. I, I live right by a UPS. It's funny. I just bring that when I return something to Amazon. It's funny. I don't want to go anywhere else. But anyway, we thought some of that, their their department store, which again, I think is the wrong term. I think they're going to open these. I know the first one's open. I'm not knowledgeable about it, but- I know that is going to be uh, a one-off store. They're going to have something that's very unique and fits the rest of their business. And I think part of it could be related to their returns. Drop-off networks, I, I think it goes back to lowering the friction to make it easier for a customer to do the, the parcels part. Absolutely. Yep. Well, what I'll do, Aaron, is I, and by the way, I was just so proud of myself and I did waited 40 Fifty minutes to say it. I was going to call you AA Ron. Because I'm okay I, with that. I can't. I can't help it. After I, every time I see my last name is Schwartz, and having grown up with baseball, <laughs> all parts of my name are uh, get made fun of. So I'm okay with it. Every time uh, I see that Key and Peel, there's a Key and Peel skit where they the substitute teacher calls him AA. Any Ron. links you can find think... this podcast need to start with that, and then you can share like Loop's benchmark <laughs> report, and then I don't care what else. Yeah, um, we should start with Key and Peel though. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile so people can reach out and talk to you. I'll also put a link to uh, Loop Returns website and any other link you had. You mentioned you had a, a benchmark. Yeah, report. yeah, yeah. Well, we can send that through for sure. That just came yep. out. I'll, I think I'll it's put about, those all in the show notes. It, it's cool. It's like 10 million data points. I mean, it's considerable. We, we've got pretty good volume and we just kind of analyze it all by, by vertical. So you know what a swimwear brand does versus a footwear. I would love that. Cool. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate you taking the time. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.